Amen. All right, we're there in Luke chapter number 6. And of course, on Sunday nights, we've been going through this series called Journey with Jesus, and we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is a pretty big book in the Bible, major book in the Bible, a lot of detail, and uh, we're going through it, learning about it together. If you remember last week, we were in Luke chapter 6, and we saw verses 12 through 16, and we learned about the choosing of the twelve. And uh, this week, we're going to start a new section in chapter 6, and we might be in chapter 6 still for maybe two or three more weeks. And what we're going to see is this uh, sermon that is entitled, or people often refer to it as, not the Sermon on the Mount, which is a very famous sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ, but this one is called the Sermon on the Plain. If you notice there in verse 17, the Bible says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain. And the word plain means a large area or a large flat area, an area of flat land with few trees. Here we're told that he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Now let me just give you some introductory statements about this. And if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes, you have a place there in your bulletin. You have a sheet for, to be able to take some notes. And a very famous sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ, probably the most famous sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ preached in the Gospels, is found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke chapter 6, from verse 17 to the end of the chapter, we get a sermon that we are told he did not preach on a mountain, but he preached on a plain. And a mountain and a plain are completely opposite of of each other. A plain is a large area, a flat area of land uh, with few trees. Here we have Jesus teaching the sermon on the plain. And sometimes people are confused by this passage Because the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 seem to be very similar. And people will sometimes get confused by this or there's a lot of debate in regards to this. And uh, some people, there there really are kind of two uh, schools of thought. One school of thought is that the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain are the same sermon. Uh, But then, of course, you've got the problem with one we're told was given on a mountain, the other one we're told was given on a plain, and there's different ways that people try to explain that away. Uh, Another way to look at it, and this is where I lean, is that the sermon on the plain is not the same sermon as the sermon on the mount. That the sermon on the plain and the sermon on the mount are two different sermons. And what I mean by that is that they were two sermons that were given by Jesus at two different times in obviously two different locations. One was given on the mount and one was given on the plain. Now the problem with that is that when you read the Sermon on the Plain, you'll notice, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, that it's very similar. It's not exactly, but it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. So you say, well, how do you answer that? Well, here's what I want you to understand, okay? How do we answer the fact that one was on a mount and the other one was on the plain, the answer to that question is that these are two different sermons. But then when you look at them and they're very similar, 
in outline and in, in content. You say, how do you answer that question? Well, the answer to that question is that they were the same sermon. And you say, now you're going crazy, Pastor, because you're contradicting yourself. Are they the same sermon or are they a different sermon? Well, they're both. And what I mean by that is that they're different sermons in the sense that they were preached at different times and different locations, but they're the same sermon in the sense that they are the same outline or the same content. Obviously, Jesus is preaching the same material. He's preaching the same sermon on the plain that he preached on the mount, though they're two different sermons. And hopefully that makes sense, and hopefully you can understand that. And this is not something that should really be that difficult uh, to understand. This is something that preachers do a lot. Obviously, when you preach for years and years and years, you preach a lot of the same things. You end up preaching a lot of the same content and, and ideas. Look, when it comes to Easter, here's the thing about Easter. You know, every Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and every, every Easter, you know, I got to preach the same Easter story. You know, we try to make it different and, and outline it different and add different illustrations and different things and whatever. But the story is always the same. Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. So you end up preaching, David always killed Goliath. Moses always parted the Red Sea. Do you understand what I'm saying? Joshua always brought down the walls of Jericho. The Bible doesn't change. Sometimes we preach the same things at different times. But specifically, let me just say this. You should be familiar with this concept because the Lord has allowed our, our ministry uh, to be one in which uh, oftentimes I'm asked to preach at different churches or conferences or camps or things like that. And, and what I do here is that I will often write a sermon to preach at a conference or a camp here in, in a few weeks. I'll be preaching at a family camp in Atlanta. Uh, a few weeks after that, I'll be preaching a conference in New Jersey. And, you know, we're always going somewhere, always traveling somewhere. But what I often do is I'll write an outline and I'll write a sermon to preach somewhere else. But before I preach that sermon somewhere else, I will preach it here to you. And you say, well, so you preach the same sermon. Well, I preach the same outline but some of you sometimes travel with us and you get to hear both sermons and you know what you find is that they are usually very different. It might be the same points. It might be the same introductory statements. It might be the same concluding statements. But obviously, I'm not standing up here and read it, reading a scripted uh, uh, sermon to you. As the Lord leads, you know, we, we say different things and express things differently. So you can take a sermon outline and preach it at one time and one location and preach it in a certain way, and then take that same sermon outline and preach it somewhere else, and it's going to be very similar, and you might compare the two and say, these look like they're the same sermon, and they are the same sermon, they're the same sermon outline, but you'll also notice that there's differences. Why is that? Because they're different sermons that were preached at different times in different locations. And I just want you to understand that that's what's going on here, because people like to take this, and they'll say, well, there's a contradiction here, because in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, and on the Sermon on the Plain, he said this, and those things don't, they're not exactly the same. Well, they're not exactly the same because they're the same sermon, but they're not the same sermon. It's the same sermon outline and content and material preached at a different place at a different location. Now, here's one example of, 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 of how they are different, and, and I'll, I'll give you this, and then we'll jump into, into the passage. The very famous and well-known Sermon on the Mount begins with a very famous passage of Scripture known as the Beatitudes. And Jesus, the introduction to his sermon itself is, obviously, Jesus is the master teacher. It was a, a beautifully 
uh, crafted introduction on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus went through what we know today as the Beatitudes, and he talks about blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are this, and blessed are that. Well, here on the Sermon of the, uh, uh, on the Plain, we have a version of the Beatitudes, but it's different. And what's different about it is that, first of all, he says different things in the Beatitudes, quote-unquote, on the Sermon on the Plain, and the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. But in the Sermon on the Plains, the blessed part is also accompanied with a woes section. So what you'll notice is on the Sermon on the Plain versus the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Plain, he gives you blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, but there's also a corresponding woe that comes with that blessing. And the word woe is used as a warning of a sorrow or a distress. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to begin to dig into this Sermon on the Plain, but we're going to just look at this first section of the blessings and the woes. The Beatitudes version of the Sermon of the Plain where he gives us blessings and he gives us woes. And let me just say this one last thing by way of introduction. When you look at these blessings, you'll notice that they are counterintuitive or they are contrary to intuition. When you look at the things that Jesus says is they are a blessing, you and I in our human, worldly, flesh, secular thinking would think that's not a blessing. And the things that Jesus says, woe unto you, we would say, no, no, that's the blessing. But I want you to notice that Jesus looks at and God looks at the world differently than you and I. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you'll notice that what Jesus says is a blessing is counterintuitive to what you and I may think is a blessing. But it would be better for us to just get on his program and see things his way. So let me give you four blessings and four woes tonight as we dig into this passage. And I'd encourage you to jot these down if you're taking notes. Number one, I want you to notice there in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, the Bible says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, he's beginning his sermon here, and he says, blessed. He says, blessed. He says, you are blessed if you, blessed be ye poor. Now you and I would say, Blessed be ye poor, That's, that doesn't sound like a good thing. I want you to notice that Jesus begins by saying, number one, there is a blessing of poverty. He said, blessed be ye poor. And here's another thing that I want to point out to you that's different than the Sermon on the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and people will often apply that, and I don't have a problem with that, with a spiritual poverty, a spiritual poorness when we're poor in spirit. But I want you to notice here on the Sermon on the Plain, which is at the same outline but a different sermon, preached at a different time in a different location, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He just says, blessed be ye poor. He says there is a blessing associated with poverty. There is a blessing associated with being poor. Poor. You say, how can that be? That doesn't sound like a blessing to me. Well, notice, here's why you are blessed if you are poor. And please understand this. Obviously, the Bible talks a lot about money and finances. And look, if you're poor because you're lazy and you're a bum, there's no blessing in that. 
Obviously, if you're just some lazy dirtbag, and that's why you're poor and broke, that's that. There's there's no blessing in that. But if you get up every day and you work hard every day and you and you have integrity and character and you don't lie and you don't steal and you don't cheat and you're doing everything you're supposed to do and you just can't seem to get ahead in life uh, financially or you're not as far as you think you should be, hey, don't worry about about it. Jesus said, "Blessed be ye poor." You say, well, why? What would be the blessing in being poor? Here's why. Blessed be ye poor. Look at it. Luke 6, verse 20. For yours is the kingdom of God. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Heaven's going to be filled with poor people. Heaven's going to be filled with poor people. He said, blessed be ye poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Look, if you've got a problem with poor people, you don't feel comfortable around poor people, you don't like going soul winning in poor areas, you need to fix your heart, you need to get right with God, you need to fix that, because you know what you're going to be, have a whole lot of in heaven? A whole lot of poor people. In fact, God says, Jesus said, there is a blessing in poverty. You are blessed when you are poor. You say, what? what's the blessing? Here's the blessing. The poor are generally more receptive to the things of God. And if you're a soul winner, you know that's true. Go to Matthew chapter 19, if you would. You're there in, in Luke. Just go backwards. Luke, Mark, Matthew. If you're a soul winner, you knock doors. You know it's true. We go out into the poor neighborhoods, out into the ghetto areas, and we knock doors. People are way more receptive and way more willing to hear the truth and hear the gospel than when we go out into the nice neighborhood. And God says, and Jesus says, hey, if you're poor tonight, and if you're in poverty, not because you're a derelict, not because you're a drug addict, not because you're lazy, not if you're just poor because you happen to be poor. He says, don't worry about about it. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He says, there is a blessing to poverty. Why? Because the poor are generally more receptive to the things of God. He says, yours is the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is going to be filled with poor people. Matthew 19, look at verse 23. Matthew 19 and verse 23. Not only that, but there's not going to be very many rich people in heaven. Now, there will be rich people in heaven, and not all rich people are bad. And some rich people are, are receptive, but by and large, as a rule of thumb, rich people are not receptive. Poor people are receptive. You say, I don't think you should be saying this. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus did. Matthew 19 and verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly... He didn't say that a rich man will never, no. But he said a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says it's a unique thing. It's a special thing. It's a, it's a rare thing. That's what the word hardly means. It's a rare thing that a rich man enters the kingdom of heaven, that a rich man gets saved and go to heaven. Verse 24, And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He said, look, it's harder for a rich man to enter, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But he said, if you're poor, yours is the kingdom of God. Amen. You say, why? Because poor are generally more receptive to the things of God. See, the truth is this, that there is a woe associated with riches. Look, go back to Luke chapter 6. Notice what he says. Remember, I told you in this version of the sermon, the sermon on the, on the, on the mount being re-preached, as the Sermon on the Plain, he gives us something new. He says, blessed and woe. He said, there's a blessing and a woe. Notice, the blessing is, blessed be ye poor. Blessed be ye poor. 
The woe is this. Look at verse 24. Luke 6, 24. But woe unto you that are rich. The word woe is a warning. It's like, woe. Be careful. Be, be vigilant. Pay attention. I'm warning you about something. He says, woe unto you that are rich. You say, why would you tell somebody who has money, who's rich, who's successful, who's wealthy, why would you tell them, woe, be careful, give them a warning. Here's why. He says, but woe unto the rich, for ye have received your consolation. That word consolation means comfort. He says, rich people tend to live better than poor people. Rich people have less needs than poor people. See, a poor person understands they have a lot of needs. They need a lot of help. They have a lot of needs physically. They need help with this. They need help with that. They realize they need all sorts of help, and, and they're not, they realize they're not getting it done. So when you walk up to them and say, hey, not only are you broke physically, but you're broke spiritually. You're not only in need physically, but you're in need spiritually, and you need to be saved. They're like, yeah, I know. I'm broke. I'm broke any which way, bank, spiritually, any way you want to cut it. I need help. But a rich person, you walk up to a rich person that has a nice car and a nice house and nice clothes and money in the bank and no problem, living in comfort, living in wealth, and you walk up to them and say, hey, you know you're in need of something? You know what they say? I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. See, the woe to the rich is woe, for ye have received your consolation. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Keep your place there in Luke. That's our text for tonight. Revelation chapter 3. Last book in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 17. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the seven churches of Asia, or the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And notice what he says to the church of the Laodiceans. You know the church of the Laodiceans, they were lukewarm. He says, because thou art neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3.17, he says this, this is Jesus speaking to the church of the Laodiceans. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods. Notice, this is what rich people say, and have need of nothing. That's the problem. You say, is the problem money? Is money the root of all evil? And I would submit to you that the Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. But the Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all evil. You say, is it wrong to be rich? It's not wrong to be rich. But make sure that if you are rich, that you check yourself and remind yourself that just because you are rich and increased with goods does not mean that you are not in need of nothing. Because we all need God. But he says... Because thou art rich, he says, because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. See, the problem with being rich is not being rich, is that generally riches blind people to their needs. The poor are generally more receptive to the things of God. Now, let me just, let me speak to both, both groups. Maybe you're here tonight, you say, I'm poor, or you're watching online, you say, I'm poor. Maybe you're resentful about it, or you're frustrated with it, or you say, I, I don't understand why God just keeps us poor. I don't understand why God doesn't let us get ahead. I don't understand why God, uh, why, why we can't succeed more, or get more, or accomplish more. I don't understand. Well, let me explain something to you. Maybe, and I'm not saying this is the case. I'm not God, but wouldn't you be thankful that if God kept you poor, and that means you got saved because of it? Amen. 
Maybe God, maybe God knew that if you would have been born into a rich family, if you would have been born into a nice neighborhood, if you would have been born into uh, some power and wealth, that you would have never got saved because riches blind people. Hey, the Bible says, the, the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So before you start getting all upset and angry and greedy and covetous, maybe you ought to thank God. Blessed are the poor. Maybe the fact that I was born poor means that I was receptive to the gospel. Maybe the fact that I was born poor means that I was receptive to the will of God. Maybe the fact that I was born poor means that I, was, uh, I understood my need, and because of this, I understand my spiritual need and my need of God. And, here, and, and, and here's the warning to the rich. Because, again, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Many people in the Bible, characters of the Bible, were wealthy and rich. You say, what, what's the warning to the rich? The warning to the rich, well, it's the warning that Jesus gives to the church here, Luke 3, 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Let me tell you something. Those rich people in those rich neighborhoods, we go knock on their doors and they say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need anything. They don't realize it, but they are just as wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked as anyone else. See, being rich means that you probably lived a life of comfort. And that may blind you to the spiritual needs of others. By the way, being rich and wealthy may blind you even if you're saved to the fact that you, even after you're saved, you still have spiritual needs. You still have a God that you should serve. Amen. You still have things that you should do for God. Amen. Luke chapter 16, if you would. We're in Luke 6, but I'd like to look, notice Luke chapter 16. I just want to highlight for you what the Bible says about this. Luke chapter 16. And listen to me. I, I, don't, I, I, I hope you succeed. I hope that your soul prospers and that you prosper in your business and prosper in your career and prosper in wealth. I, 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 I hope that. I pray that. I pray that for our church people. I pray that for our church families. I pray that. I don't know. We've got 15 uh, different business owners uh, in our church, and I pray for them that God would bless their businesses and God would help them. And I, I pray that God will give you bonuses and raises and that he'll give you promotions. And look, I, I'm all for that. But I always pray that and I say, Lord, bless them financially unless that'll drive them away from you. And if it'll drive them away from you, then Lord, keep them poor. Amen. Now you know why some of you are so broke. <laughs> and now you're going to stop asking me to pray for you. <laughs> hey, Lord, bless them. Unless it'll cause them to be lifted up with pride, then humble them. Amen. Lord, bless them. If they'll use that as a blessing to serve you and support your work and do things for you. But otherwise, just keep them broke, Lord. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. The word fair means that he lived sumptuously. The word sumptuous means lavishly, luxurious. And fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar 
named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I want you to notice, what Abraham, and there's so much we could say about this passage, and I'm not going to do that tonight, but look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he, Lazarus, is comforted, and thou art tormented. See, it was the comfort. It was the fact that they had received consolation that had blinded him to his spiritual needs. So Jesus says, there's a blessing of poverty. And you and I might say, it's not, there's no blessing in being poor. Jesus oh no, actually, there's a blessing to poverty, and the proof is that heaven will be filled with poor people. Go back to Luke chapter 6. I want you to notice, first of all, that there's a blessing of poverty. And I hope you never look down on people because of their wealth or or lack of it. I hope you never look up to people because of their wealth. We should be no respecter of persons, the Bible says. And again, I'm not, I'm not against people being rich, and I'm not against you being rich, and I hope that God will bless you, and I hope that God will succeed, and the Bible is filled with all sorts of great, godly people that were rich. But let me remind you, like James reminds us, that it is the rich that persecute us. It is the rich that are trying to vaccinate us. It is the rich that are trying to stop churches like this. It is the rich that are trying. It's not, it's, it's not poor, broke people that are getting us canceled on YouTube and censored all over the place. It's the rich. So number one, we see the blessings of poverty. But I want you to notice, secondly, there in verse 21, he said, blessed are ye that hunger. He said, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. I, number one, we saw the blessing of poverty, but I want you to notice, secondly, there's the blessing of hunger. The blessing of hunger. You say, how is being hungry a blessing? Well, here's what you need to understand, and, and go with me, keep your place there, and look, go with me to the book of Proverbs, if you would, Proverbs chapter 27. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27. He said, blessed are ye that hunger. And you might say, I've been hungry. Pastor, you've been <laughs> preaching this. I'm poor, and because I'm poor, I'm hungry. Blessed are ye that hunger. But notice, Jesus said, hey, there's a blessing. Blessed are ye that hunger. Now, he says, for ye shall be filled. Let me explain something to you. The satisfaction of being full comes first from being hungry. You say, I don't understand that. That's because you've never been hungry. The satisfaction, the blessedness, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. The satisfaction of being full comes first from being hungry. Proverbs 27, are you there? Look at verse 7. Proverbs 27 and verse 7, the Bible says, The full soul 
loatheth and honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. See, the enjoyment that you get from being satisfied, from being full, comes directly from being hungry. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb. Someone who's full, you give them a honeycomb, you give them honey, you give them something sweet, and they're like, ah, whatever. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. You can give them something bitter, and they're like, man, this tastes delicious when you're hungry. See, the satisfaction of being full comes from first being hungry. And let me say this. Keep your place right there in Proverbs. We're going to come back in that direction. Go back to Luke 25. Luke chapter 6, excuse me, verse 25. We're talking about the blessing of hunger. Verse 21, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. The satisfaction of being full comes from first being hungry. Verse 25, woe unto you that are full. Here's the woe. Here's the, con- the, 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 the contrast. He says, you're blessed if you're hungry. And he says, woe unto you that are full. Notice, for ye shall hunger. See, you say, what is, what is Jesus teaching here and what's the principle? And look, he's talking about hunger here and, and they can definitely be applied to hunger, but you can apply this to any and every appetite. The idea is this, that the satisfaction of being full comes from first being hungry and the woe, the contrast to that is that people that satisfy every craving are never satisfied. When you're always full, you're always hungry. When you're always full, you're never satisfied. When you're always full, he says, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. See, when people give in to satisfying every little desire and appetite they have, not only are they never full, they always find themselves dissatisfied, more hungry, they're never satisfied, and they're never happy. Let me give you an example. You're there in Proverbs, go to Ecclesiastes. From Proverbs, if you just cross over to the next book, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you should be familiar with this. Solomon, the most wealthy and successful king of Israel, God had given him wisdom, and as a result, he tried to satisfy every physical need. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we can spend the whole night on this. I won't do it, but let me just show it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. I made me, notice this is Solomon speaking, when he's talking about the fact that he tried to fulfill everything, he tried to do everything, he tried to fill every craving. He said, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. He says in verse 7, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. I want you to notice what he's saying there. He's saying, look, any way that I could be satisfied, I got works, I got houses, I've got vineyards, I've got pools, I've got servants, I've got possessions, I've got silver, I've got gold, I got entertainers, I got everything that I could ever desire. 
Notice verse 9. So I was great. And I increased more than all that were before me. In Jerusalem also my wisdom remained with me. Notice verse 10. And whatsoever mine eye desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labors. And this was the portion of all my labor. And you and I would read that. And we would think, well, this has got to be the happiest man on earth. This has got to be the most satisfied man on earth. I mean, every craving, any desire, anything he wants. He didn't see a car he didn't buy. He didn't see a house he didn't buy. He didn't see clothes he didn't buy. He didn't go on a trip he never went on. He did everything. He got everything. And you would think, he's happy. Notice what Solomon says to us in verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. He says, for all is vanity. Word vanity means shallow, empty. He says, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. You say, I don't understand. He got everything he wanted. Why is he not satisfied? Here's why. Because blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall be hungry. The satisfaction of being full comes first from being hungry. And people that satisfy every craving are never happy. So go ahead and live your life. Satisfying every need. Giving yourself anything you want. Look, please understand, young people. You say, I want to be happy in a marriage. I want to be satisfied in a marriage spiritually, emotionally, physically. One day I want to get married and have a wife or have a husband and have them in, in, in the canopy of God's blessing fulfill all of the needs that I need as, uh, in friendship, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Well, let me explain something to you. Satisfaction comes, being full comes from first being hungry. See, you say, well, I'm a single person right now and I can't get that close and I've got to abstain and you've got all these rules and this six-inch rule and I don't know who came up with the six-inch rule because mine's a six-foot rule. It's the coronavirus rule. You know, and you got all these rules and I can't hold hands and we can't kiss and we can't this and we can't that. Let me tell you something. The satisfaction in marriage of being full comes from first being hungry. But when you're satisfying every craving with being a whore, when you're satisfying every craving with pornography, when you're satisfying every craving with anything that you can fill with, you'll never be satisfied. And like Solomon, you'll say, I hated life. I hated life. He said, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them, and I hated life. Everything I ever wanted, I kept not from him, and I hated life. See, Jesus says, blessed are ye that hunger. He says, there's a blessing in being hungry. For ye shall be filled. Woe unto you that are full. If you're full and you've never hungered, for ye shall hunger. Let me, let me explain something to you. I hope you succeed financially. I really do. I pray for you that you would. I honestly do. That God would bless you. That God would bless your business. That God would bless your finances. That God would give you uh, more customers and more clients and more sales and promotions and, and, and bonuses and all of that. But let me help you with something. Make sure that while you're succeeding and many of you uh, maybe are successful and you're rising up in, in your success and you've not always been that and you came from 
poor, being poor and all those things, and you've risen that, praise God for that. You're experiencing that, and you're satisfied, and your satisfaction comes from first being hungry. Make sure that your kids don't become these brats that have always been full. I mean, have you ever thought about, why is it that these self-made millionaires, they, they, they're born poor, they make themselves millionaires, then they raise a bunch of brats? And all their little trust fund babies are a bunch of lazy, useless, non-working individuals. You say, how does that happen? Here's how it happens, because woe unto you that are full. The satisfaction comes from being hungry. But when everything's just given to you, Look, it's, it, it, look at, there, there are studies that have been done of people who win the lottery. They're not happy. That's right. Woe, Jesus says, unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. If you're there in Ecclesiastes, just go back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. And look, these two things kind of have to do with each other, which is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, there's a blessing in poverty and there's a blessing in hunger. There's a blessing in poverty, and there's a blessing in being hungry. And look, please understand this. I'm not saying that you should you, you help your kids and bless your kids and be a blessing to your kids. But just be careful about making life too easy for your kids. Let them struggle. It's okay. It's okay for them to struggle. It, you know, don't, don't bail. Let them fail sometimes. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. Notice what... Notice what's written here in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8, the Bible says, Remove far from me vanity. Remember, that's what Solomon said, vanity. He said, I got everything I wanted, and it was all vanity and lies. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me, look, here's the prayer. You say, what should I be praying uh, in regards to, what should my goal be in regards to finances? Here's the biblical goal for finances. Give me neither poverty nor riches. You say, okay, but in the Bible, people were wealthy. True, and praise God for it. But none of them were trying to be rich. In fact, the Bible says they that will be rich fall into temptation and he's there. Those that have a desire to be rich are going to become castaways. While you're trying to just be productive and live a productive life and provide for your family and serve God, if God decides, there's a man I can bless, there's a buddy I can bless, there's a family I can bless, and he makes you rich, hey, praise God for it. But don't make that your life's goal. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Notice verse 9. Lest I be full, right? Woe unto you that are full. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Because that's what rich people do. They're too full. They're not hungry enough. And they say, Why do I need God? Look where I live. Why do I need God? Look what I drive. Why do I need God? Look at my income. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. There is no such thing as being too poor. Now look, poor people are more receptive. Let's get them saved. But look, when poor people walk through these doors, when some of you walk through these doors and you were poor, my goal was to two years, three years on the road, make you middle class. <laughs> You say, why? Because they're, they're, God doesn't want you poor either. He, he wants you to live. He says, look, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is convenient for me. So we see the blessing of poverty. We see the blessing of hunger. 
Go back to Luke chapter 6. Let me give you the third one. Look at verse 21. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Then he says this, Blessed are ye that weep. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. He says there's a blessing of sorrow. Remember I told you these are counterintuitive. Because here's what we think. We think I never want to be sad, ever. I never want to be sad. I never want to have sorrow. And if I ever feel sad, I want the doctors to give me pills that will make that feeling go away. That's the world we live in. We live in a world that says you should always be happy. You should always be laughing. You should always be, everything should always be great. But Jesus says, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He says there's a blessing in sorrow. He says, blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And then he says, look, notice it, verse 25, here's the woe. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Then he says this, woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So what is he teaching? Here's what he's teaching. Here's what he's saying. Please understand this. He's saying, I would rather weep on earth and laugh in heaven. I would rather live my life with integrity and character and serving God and putting God first and trying to be the husband that God called me to be and the father that God called me to be and the Christian that God called me to be and if that causes me to stay poor and stay hungry and not have a lot of fun and be in some sorrow and be in some trouble and be in some trial. He said, I'd rather weep now and laugh later later than laugh now and weep later. Because let me just be honest with you, when you really live the Christian life, it comes with sorrow. John chapter 16, if you would, look at verse 33. You're there in Luke. Just flip over to John chapter 16. I mean, can I just be honest with you? When you actually get right with God, and you actually start walking the Christian life and being a disciple, I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm saying you get saved, and then you actually start being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. People will talk bad about you. They will, your friends will desert you. They'll leave you. They'll make fun of you. They'll call you names. They'll stab you in the back. They'll gossip and lie. People will gossip and lie about you. You say, why? Because they're influenced by the devil. When you're trying to do something against the devil, he's going to bring all sorts of attacks your way. Jesus said it this way, John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Here's what Jesus said. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Maybe you're here tonight, you're saying, Pastor, you know, ever since I started coming to this church, oh, my family, they've turned on me, my friends have left me, and now I hear you say that you're praying that God would bless me financially unless that would turn my heart away, and that's when I'm really broke. I'm broker than I used to be. <laughs> Life isn't going, you know, is I'm not laughing a lot. Well, Jesus said, you're blessed. Amen. Jesus says the house of mourning is better than the house of sorrow. Jesus says that a, a, a funeral is better than a day of birth. He says, I would rather weep on earth and laugh in heaven. Blessed are ye that weep now, 
for ye shall laugh. But he says, woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. I don't have time to go into, and I don't, I don't want to go through, through the whole thing, but you know the Bible says that if we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. Amen. And I'd rather live a life of service now with sorrow and weeping, bringing in our sheaves with us and rejoice at the judgment seat of Christ for that which we accomplish with God's help in our lives, in our bodies, than to live for myself now and then weep in heaven. You say, I didn't think we'd weep in heaven. Oh, really? Then why does the Bible say that God has to wipe away our tears? So Jesus said, Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And he says, Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Let me give you the last one. We'll finish up. Look at Luke chapter 6, if you would. Go back to Luke, just one book back. It's 22. He talks about the blessing of poverty. He talks about the blessing of hunger. He talks about the blessing of sorrow. Lastly, if you're taking notes, he talks about the blessing of persecution. You notice how these things are all connected. The blessing of persecution. Sometimes people will attack me or attack preachers like me. They'll send emails or whatever, leave comments somewhere, and say, what's wrong with you people? Everybody hates you. You must not be doing something right. If everybody hates you, if everybody hates you, you must not be doing something right. The world doesn't like Verity Baptist Church. They don't like Pastor Jimenez. They don't like the new IFB movement. There's something wrong with you. Whenever I hear that, I think to myself, number one, you obviously haven't read the Bible. Number two, actually, that proves there's something right with us. Luke 6.22, notice what Jesus said, Blessed! Blessed! Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. People say, what's wrong with your church? I went on your Google reviews and it's like 600. Just, I hate you, you're terrible, you're a cult, you're this, you're that. Jesus said, we're blessed. Well, my church I go to, it's got five-star review. Well, I don't know what Jesus thinks about that, but he wouldn't call it blessed. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. When they shall separate you from their company, when they stop inviting you to the parties, when they stop gathering with you and shall reproach you or talk bad about you and cast out your name as evil, use your name as an insult, call you names and call you a Bible thumper and call you, say you're in a cult. He says, for the son of man's sake, he says, rejoice ye in that day and leap. I mean, look at this. He says, leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Now, I don't know if this is true. Obviously, I don't think this is true, but I sure hope when we get to heaven, when it comes to preachers, obviously not church members, this is a different. When it comes to preachers, I hope our rewards are based off, I hope Jesus pulls up our Google reviews. (laughs) Your rewards are based on your Google reviews. I'm like, yes! (laughs) Praise the Lord. Your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. See, he says, when they hate you, you're blessed. When they hate you, that's a good thing. Go go back to John. Look at John 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. 
Look at verse 18. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm only referring to, to pastors and churches. Obviously, you guys run businesses. Have good Google reviews, all right? You need that. John 15, look at verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me. This is Jesus speaking. Before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you, hateth you. See, when they hate you, when they write bad articles about you, when they blast you on the news and cancel your, uh, your, your, your money account and your bank account and your YouTube account, Jesus says, you're blessed. That's blessed. And that's nothing, by the way. When we're talking about persecution, I mean, let's just be real frank. I mean, we talk about Pastor Anderson and Pastor Jimenez and Pastor Mejia and all the, the things that we're going through. Look, we've gone through some things in comparison to other pastors in the United States of America. I understand that. But when we get up to heaven and Paul's talking about, I was beaten and I was this, I'm going to say real quiet. <laughs> Paul's like, what about you? And I'm like, well, you know, one time, you know, I had this. You know how hard it is to get 10,000 subscribers on YouTube? Because... <laughs> Because I had this channel with 10,000 subscribers, and they shut it down. And he's going to be like, oh, oh, okay. Well, um, you know, they killed me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, look, the persecution we deal with, it, it's going to be laughable in heaven. And, and then, and then soul winners want to quit because somebody slammed the door in your face. Jesus died on the cross. He says, blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And notice the woe. Notice the woe. It's counterintuitive. Go, go, keep your finger right there in John 15. We're going to come right back to it. Then go, go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Here's the woe. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It, it goes against intuition. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And then he says this, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. Listen to me. When news breaks... When something's going on in the news and you've got to, you're looking at this and you've got to figure out, like, I don't care, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? And look, we're all sinners. They're all bad guys. I understand that. Listen, just, just look at everybody that the world loves. That's usually the bad guy. Everyone the world hates, they're probably doing something right. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Listen to me, when there is a preacher and the whole world speaks well of them, they're a false prophet. They're a bad guy. Go back to John chapter 15. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Billy Graham. You say, how do you know Billy Graham's bad? Well, listen to his preaching and he's got bad doctrine. But even if you don't want to do that, the whole world loved him. Everybody loved him. I mean, any country Billy Graham went to, the presidents and kings went to meet him. Everyone loved him. I don't think Jesus is speaking about Billy Graham. Well, you know, here's what Jesus said about him. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. They didn't speak well of Jesus. Is Billy Graham better than Jesus? I'm talking about Joel Osteen. I mean, the whole world loves him. Everybody loves Joel Osteen. Nobody has anything bad to say about Joel Osteen. And then people look at us and they're like, what's wrong with you? Everybody hates you. And the only people talking bad about Joel Osteen are you. <laughs> And, and, but, you know, here's what Jesus said. He says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. 
You say, what's the problem with these false prophets, the Billy Grahams, the Joel Osteens, the Pope? The Pope's a false prophet. I mean, if you don't know that, good night. We've got other problems. <laughs> but you know what? When all men speak well of you, that's a really bad sign. Well, what's wrong with these men? Here's what's wrong with them. John 15, verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. You know why the world loves these men? Billy Graham, Joel Osteen, the Pope, these types of preachers. You know why the world loves them? Here's why. Because they're of the world. You know why they hate Pastor Anderson? Because he's not of the world. You know why they hate Verity Baptist Church? Because we're not of the world. So Jesus begins his introduction to a very famous sermon he preached called the Sermon on the Mount. Except this time he preached it on a plane just to throw us off. He pulls out his old sermon outline and begins to preach it, but like any dynamic preacher, he changes it a little bit. He says, you probably heard the Beatitudes. Let me give you the Beatitudes, but let me give you with the Beatitudes some woes. He says, let me surprise you with some of the things that God considers blessings. He said, there's a blessing in poverty because poverty may make you more receptive to the things of God and riches generally blind people from their needs. He said there's a blessing in hunger because the satisfaction of being full comes from first being hungry. But people that are satisfied and people that satisfy every craving and never discipline themselves to be hungry, they're never satisfied. He says there's a blessing in sorrow because I'd rather weep on earth and laugh in heaven than laugh on earth and weep in heaven. And he says there's a blessing of persecution because when they hate you, you're doing something right. And when they love you, you're doing something wrong. And Jesus says, these are the true blessings. So if, this, if you, you say, this is not what I thought would be a blessing, then you better get on his program. Amen. His ways are better. His ways are higher. He thinks differently. But he's right. Amen. And we're wrong. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this admonition that Jesus gives us these blessings. They're counterintuitive. We see them and we think, that's not what I would think a blessing is. But Jesus says this is the truth. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to realize that there's a blessing in poverty. And as you help us and you help us succeed and you increase us and you help us to grow, help us to keep that mindset that we're still always in need of you. Help us, Lord, to see the blessing of being hungry And that sometimes we need to not satisfy ourselves because that just brings misery. Help us to see the blessing of sorrow. Sometimes we weep, but that's okay. And help us see the blessing of persecution because great is our reward in heaven. We love you, Father. Thank you for sending Jesus down the cross for our sins. Thank you for the resurrection. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.